are behind a lot of this technology development. That's what they're saying is the next step. So it's not really a theory. It's it's what they're saying is next. And at what point does the phone not become enough? So I think there's massive impacts for physical health and, and mental health and psychology. I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. I am buzzing to tell you about Beekeepers Naturals, you guys. Now, I've been into bee products for a really long time. And after I recorded and published episode 175 with Carly Stein, I got even more obsessed with bee products. Now, a lot of people think bees just make honey. Oh, that's nice. It tastes sweet and comes in that little bear thing. No, dude. Bees make a whole suite of really potent superfoods. They're actually medicines in many countries. They're considered medicine, and I consider them that too. So you've got your propolis, you've got bee pollen, and of course the honey and the royal jelly. Now, Beekeepers Naturals, which to me is the number one most premier bee product company in the world, also make a product called Bee Powered, which combines all of those superfoods from the hive into one product, which is just absolutely insane. There's something you need to be aware of, though, when it comes to bee products is that even if you get, say, like a great honey that tastes delicious and it's labeled organic, it still could be tainted by pesticides like Roundup. It's called glyphosate. It's like one of the most gnarly pesticides in the world. Monsanto, you are evil. Shame on you. Why are you putting this stuff all over the planet? Anyway, I digress. Here's the deal, though. You can label a bee product organic, but that doesn't mean that your bees from your hive aren't going down the road and like picking up a bunch of glyphosate and bringing it back into your hives. So you want to only use bee products from a company you can trust. And Beekeepers Naturals is one such company because not only is their whole process organic and really kind to the environment and to the bees, which is really important, but they test for all contaminants and poisons and pesticides using a third-party verified lab. So you know that you're getting a pure, safe, and very effective product from beekeepersnaturals.com. So go to beekeepersnaturals.com, use the code LIFESTYLIST, and save 15% off your order. Have you ever noticed that no matter how much you work on your lifestyle and your diet, that you still have issues with your gut and digestion? You still have times where you're feeling a bit bloated, gassy, maybe have some brain fog because your food's just not going down right? You might have something called dysbiosis, which is a crazy imbalance in all of the various bacteria that exist in your gut. Well, I found a solution for you. It's freaking awesome. They're called Just Thrive Probiotics. You can find their website at thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. Here's all you have to do to get rid of all those problems. I know it sounds too easy, but it's true. You take one capsule per day after a meal or as directed. The capsules can even be opened and sprinkled on your food or in drinks. You can even bake them up to 455 degrees. Not that you would, but you could, which means they survive your digestive tract and all of those acids and all the heat inside you, unlike most other probiotics, because these guys are a spore-based probiotic. Just Thrive produces RDA levels of carotenoids and antioxidants such as alpha and beta carotene, lycopene, and lutein. 
That's geek language for healing your gut. That's right. So get over to thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. And if you use the code Luke15, you're going to get 15% off your entire order. That's thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. What's happening, geeks and freaks? This is episode 297 of the Lifestylist Podcast, Unnatural, the Hidden Costs of Wireless Technology and EMF Pollution with Jamie Ike. Now, those of you that listen to the show on a regular basis might find the name Ike familiar, and that would be due to the fact that his father is none other than David Ike, a recent and very popular guest on this show. It's also timely that we're talking about EMF on this episode because this Thursday, August 6, 2020, marks the release of my long-awaited online class, the EMF Home Safety Masterclass, which you can find at lukestory.com slash EMF Masterclass. I've taken every question that I've received over the past four years of doing this podcast and all the information taken from the fantastic scientists and doctors that I've had the opportunity to speak to about EMFs and put it all into one five-hour course. In fact, it's over five hours of video content. There are seven modules, six bonus videos, and three downloadable PDFs. And this course for you is only $149. Now, the reason I make this class $149 is twofold. A, uh, due to the fact that so many people are strapped financially at the moment because of these horrendous COVID lockdowns. B, I realized as I started to put together this footage and do the edits and put together the PDFs that once you learn about EMFs in your environment and in your life, it can get quite expensive once you go about fixing it. So I didn't want to produce a course that was $500 or $1,000, put people through the course, and then at the end of it be like, psych, guess what? Now you have to go spend another $1,000 to fix all the problems in your house. So the idea here was to make a course that was highly informative, based in science, but also really fun and entertaining, especially around a topic that is you know pretty geeky and scientific, and also a course that is affordable by most people so that when you set about to mitigate the EMF in your environment, you've got a little budget left. I don't want you to be afraid, however, and think that if you spend the 149 on this class that you're not going to do anything to improve the EMF in your life without spending tons of money because the fixes can be done incrementally, little by little. So you drop $149 on the class, you learn what goes into having your home assessed for EMF, what the likely hotspots are, and then little by little over time, you just start to mitigate the levels of EMF in your home and in your environment. And that's exactly what happens in the seven modules. We go through each room of my house with my friend Brian Hoyer, who's one of the world's best EMF home assessment specialist. He works with Dr. Mercola and a number of other top names in health and wellness. And we go through the house room by room and discover each hidden source of EMF, all of the different types of EMF. We test the levels and then we determine what to do about them. And at the end of a course, you're given all of the recommendations on how to get your testing done, whether you try to do some of it yourself or hire someone or just go right into fixing some of the main offending areas of the home and the different devices that produce the most EMF. So it's a really, really high value, uh, deeply informative course. And again, you can find it at lukestory.com slash EMF masterclass. It's $149. And uh, trust me, you will not regret it if you're someone who wants to learn about EMF and more importantly, who wants to learn how to fix it. That's lukestory.com slash EMF masterclass. 
Okay, enough for my plugs. Let's go ahead and jump into the guest. Jamie Icke is the founder of Iconic, a brand new alternative media channel producing films, series, podcasts, and more. He's also the director of a new film called Unnatural, which looks at the connections between cancer and electromagnetic technology and also the increase in use of social media and cell phones as they pertain to mental health. So the crux of this conversation with Jamie is really more about the worldwide effect of electrosmog of EMF in the environment around the world and some of the political implications in terms of telecommunications companies and the lack of safety testing with various infrastructures and technology. So unlike some of the other interviews I've done in the past where we talk about, you know, what it does to your health and your body exactly and how to mitigate it, et cetera, which of course my new course, as I indicated, covers this is really more about the widespread, zoomed out global issue of EMF in the environment. And so I was really excited to have this conversation based on this fantastic film. We also talk about what it was like to grow up as David Icke's son, which I thought was really fascinating. And uh, if there were any of his dad's theories that were too far out for him, and if it was tough for him to deal with some of the ridicule his dad faced as he was growing up and how he's come into his own and learned how to be resilient against social media trolls, etc. What prompted him to start the iconic website and what we can each do to circumvent and stop censorship, which in my view is one of the biggest threats to our democracy at the moment. We also break down some of the many topics in his film Unnatural and the things that he learned by interviewing the various doctors and scientists and the implications of EMF on our environment and the natural world at large. We also talk about the fact that some people are tearing down cell towers in the UK and uh, what some better approaches to fighting back against the telecommunications companies might be. And the difference, of course, between the different phases of 1G, 2G, 3G, 4G, and 5G rollout. There's much information about 5G. Many people think that 5G is much different than 4G, but there are, in fact, two phases of 5G, one of them being the super gnarly millimeter wave 5G that is present in some places on earth, but is not quite as ubiquitous as the first phase of 5G, which is really not much different than 4G. Now they're all bad, but we kind of get into the nuances of that. We also talk about the difference between the issues of 5G and these types of smart technologies in terms of lack of privacy and surveillance versus the health risks. Now there are health risks, of course, associated with EMF, but when it comes to some of these more advanced technologies, the real concern might be the lack of privacy and the widespread surveillance by the government and by the telecommunication companies that are rolling out this technology. So it's a really fascinating conversation and uh, one that I have not approached in this particular way. So I'm stoked to share it with you. And listen, as I always say, when it comes to EMF, we must choose awareness over fear. You know, having all this stuff in our environment is one thing. Having it in an environment and being paranoid about it and walking around in a fight or flight sympathetic nervous system state is even worse. So uh, this conversation was really an effort to have some fun with it and in a relaxed way, uh, face the epidemic that we're currently involved in, in terms of the widespread use of radiation for communication and technology. So right now I'd like to invite you to just relax, stay cool, calm, and collected. Uh, perhaps turn off any Bluetooth and Wi-Fi enabled devices if you can and listen to this groundbreaking conversation with Jamie Icke. Enjoy the show. All right, my friend, uh, with that, 
Welcome to the show, Jamie. What's happening, dude? Thank you very much. Yeah, all good. All good over here. How are you? I'm great, man. Really good to meet you. I had uh, an incredible time interviewing your dad, David Ike, recently on the show. It was a huge hit. People just went absolutely mad for that one, uh, as I knew they would. And so I was really excited to uh, to talk to you and keep the lineage alive, as it were. Uh, I want to start just by, and I want to spend too much time on this because I want to talk about your film and like the various projects you're doing because you're doing great work in the world. But I, I can't help being so curious what it was like to grow up being the son of David Icke. Uh, I was certainly not boring. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. Very, it's been very interesting. Um, I've always been brought up with the attitude of question everything, question everything anyone ever tells you and just go with what feels right for you. Don't believe something or take something as given just because it's somebody in authority, whether it's a teacher or a politician or so on that's, that's telling it to you. Um, so I was really, really proud and really, really pleased of that. Um, and obviously the work he's doing now in the world is um, it's an incredible thing to be a part of. Obviously, I've, I've been very fortunate to work with him for a few years on particularly his events. It's the event side of stuff I've been very heavily involved with for about five years. Um, so I got to travel the world with him as well and see these uh, see these audiences grow, which has been really, really um kind of a, quite a surreal experience really you sat in a little office on the, the Isle of Wight in England and then you go to Sydney and your dad walks out in front of 3,000 people it's quite a surreal experience really um but yeah it's been a, it was an amazing amazing upbringing very much uh you know you can achieve whatever you want to achieve put your mind to it and uh I, I kind of got into interest in the information when I got to about 15 16 um and since then it's just been a a free education really <laughs> When you were in school and whatnot, uh, you know, your dad's pretty noteworthy, uh, obviously, probably more so in the UK than anywhere else. Uh, did you face any sort of ridicule or bullying or anything like that from kids in school uh, in regard to your dad's sometimes far out views on the world? Uh, yeah, a little bit. It was it was a strange school experience, really, because um, I was a I was a very, very good footballer, a soccer player, and um, I actually had trials at places like Manchester United, which is a club most people in the world have heard of. So in theory, I should have been the coolest guy in school. I should have been like the, the jock in America, kind of, you know. And um, But instead, I wasn't at all. It was very much, uh, yeah, quite a lot of that. And um, my brother, mother and sister went through it too, but I kind of was on the, the tail end of it. I was, I was not born until 1992, and obviously the height of his... Uh, sort of infamous ridicule was around 1991 and the, the preceding years after the Terry Wogan interview in, in England that went out in 91. So I kind of got the tail end of it. And it was it was hard because you're being, you're being kind of had to go out for things that you're not responsible for and also you're too young to understand. So obviously when I was in school, 2001, 9-11 happened and then not long after that, the 7-7 attacks in London happened, um, which were obviously two high-profile terrorist events that the kind of the uh, alternative media were very vocal on the fact that it wasn't who we were told it was. So that was something that kind of had to deal with in school. But the older I got, the, the irony is kids that used to be um, not particularly pleasant to me in school used to come up to me in the street when we got to sort of 21, 22 and say like, oh, it's great to see your dad doing so well, you know, all this stuff that, um, that he said that's coming true. So it was hard at the time, but looking back, I think I think it was actually a gift because 
in the same way that, that that my dad will say that that Wogan interview and the ridicule that followed that was a gift because it kind of got him out of the prison of caring what anyone else thinks because once you've been through that it's just you know no no one cares you know um it's kind of at, you know i can talk about shape-shifting reptilians because people think i'm mad anyway I, I mean so so there's you kind of got that aspect to it um and it was kind of the same for me i was i was actually quite shy in school because of things like that but through it i just i don't care now I, I say what i believe to be right i do what i believe to be right and if people don't like that or they don't like me it really doesn't bother me anymore um so I look, I look back on that as a as a tough time in the moment, but as a gift, as a gift kind of in uh, retrospectively looking back. Yeah, that's one thing I really admire about about your dad is his seeming ability to be impervious to ridicule, <laughs> you know, and just like laugh it off. And I hear him talk about that, and and I, you know, I observe other people that are, you know, kind of fringe in the information that they put out, even though much of the fringe information is actually turning out to be more valid and true than mainstream information when it comes to uh, journalism and media. But I, I see the stuff that he's been through over the years because I haven't followed his work since, I don't know, 2000, 2001, probably. And, uh, and I look at myself and like, I get one person trolling me on Instagram and I'm, I get all heated and pissed off, you know, and have to like really work to not respond and, and feed into it. Or, you know, I, I feel bad, like, oh, am I doing something wrong? You know, it's like, it's much easier to say you don't give a shit about what people think than to actually live there and just yeah. accept that it's not about you, that if someone's trolling you, it's really more about them and the emotional and psychological problems that they have. Uh, where they feel the need to sit down and spend their time and energy to attack someone online. Um, so I'm I'm working on becoming more thick-skinned in that area. Yeah, I, I totally, totally get that. We'll get into that, I'm sure, when we talk about the film, that aspect of giving people a voice on, on those sort of channels. But I mean, I think the way he looks at it is if you... So obviously, when you say something massively ahead of time, as a lot of people have throughout history, they've always been ridiculed by the, the generation that they're in. You know, people like... Um, Leonardo da Vinci and uh, that were abused at the time when they were alive that we look back on now as these you know these great thinkers that were ahead of their time but at the time they weren't respect they weren't appreciated as much as they should have been Nikola Tesla is another one um, but because they're ahead of their time they're saying things that kind of the majority of people are not used to hearing you're generally going to get ridiculed and you're going to get abused and you're going to get kickback from it but if you don't say that, if you don't say what you believe to be right, what are you going to do in 10 years when something happens that you've known about forever? Are you going to go, oh, well, I knew this whole time. Whereas if you speak your truth and then you're proven to be right later on, then what you said has a lot more credibility, which is, is what's happening now because of things he wrote about and spoke about 20 years ago that are coming to fruition. That gives what he's saying now a lot more validity. So yeah. Yeah, it's, it's one of the swings and roundabouts. It's, you know, longevity, it says, um, I can't remember what the saying is, it John Lennon, it's, uh, it'll be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, it's not the end. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's great, man. Yeah, well, it's a good, it's a good perspective, I think, too, in, in all of this, because there's so many heavy things going on in the world right now, as each of us have the opportunity to, you know, build awareness, to create content, to share information. But at the same time, um, some of that information can be so unsettling when you start to get into the depth of corruption and evil that exists at the highest levels of control uh, in the world. Um, 
I think it's healthy to kind of take it with a grain of salt and wear the world like a loose garment at the same time. Because there's there's only so many things that you can control. And the main thing I think that you can control is your own perception and attitude around what's going on, which uh, which I definitely want to talk about when it comes to the issue of EMF and technology and things like that. Because um, there's a real fine line there between awareness and paranoia also. Uh, before we get into uh, Unnatural, and I want to also talk about the iconic website and, and censorship and how you're doing a great job of bypassing that. Um, as you've come up and observed your dad's speeches and all the content that he's doing, have there been things that he's brought up that are just too far out for you that you're just like, cool, dad, that, you know, if you believe that, God bless, but that's like, that just seems too crazy to me. Or is all of it kind of makes sense on some level? I think all of it, all of it makes sense uh, from the perspective that I think we know probably 0.001% of what there is to know about reality, about who we are, about the world, about you know what happens, what happens after you. All these things that we we, we claim to to be the important issues. I think we know a fraction of anything about it. And I think when you approach life from that attitude, then you can't discount anything because it's all very well and good saying you know how do you prove it's right? Well, also how do you prove it's wrong? Um, so some of the some of the very far out things that he speaks about. You just have to you have to look at the the bulk of evidence to support them. So you talk about like the the probably the most far out one that he's talked about, which is the um, the idea of interbreeding between um, humanity and a, and a, a non human force, a non human race. That story is not new. That story is in every pretty much every ancient culture across the world, from the indigenous Australians, the um, South Americans, the um, people, the um, ancient civilizations in Asia. In the Middle East, that story is, you know, that's a common theme. And um, yeah, people from all these cultures around the world that according to the technology that supposedly existed at the time, they would have never communicated. They'd have not sat down and written a common story. Yet they all seem to share the same story. They, they use different names, but they're describing the same phenomena. And I think when things like that happen, you have to kind of look at it with some credibility and think maybe there's a lot more to know here. Maybe there's definitely something in this. So I don't think you can discount any of that information. Um, I think, you know, someone's got a shapeshift on live television, I think, for the world to probably um, in, the, in masses understand and, and, and buy that. But I definitely don't think you can discount anything. Um, there's parts of what he speaks about that I'd, I'd like to understand a lot better than I do. Um, but when you approach life with the attitude that we know a fraction of what there is to know, then you can't really dismiss anything, I don't think. Yeah, I agree. I also think that uh, for those of us that have had experiences with plant medicines and and psychedelics, you you definitely get a purview into the multi-dimensional universe. And uh, once one's crossed, or at least in my experience, I don't know if this is the case for everyone, but once once one has pierced the veil of the senses that we uh, you know feel out into the world with as being embodied, and you you know. Uh, remove that filter and you start to experience life interdimensionally, it's very difficult difficult to go back into thinking that we're confined to this Newtonian physical, concrete, material world and that there's nothing else there. Um, so, you know, while I don't encourage that everyone go goes and have those experiences because I don't think they're necessarily right for everyone uh, all the time, uh, I know for me, having had a few of those, 
in my lifetime. That's like I don't I don't not believe anything, you yeah. know, because it's just you watch the world around you kind of disintegrate and you merge into consciousness. And once that happens, uh, especially with something like DMT, it's like nothing is ever the same. So it's really impossible to get imprisoned in the um, kind of the even the the, the periodic. Uh, table and um, mathematics as we know them and everything like that just kind of dissolves and becomes a non-reality. And so that leaves you, I think, more open to different ideas uh, once you've plunged into that pool of, uh, you know, alternative awareness. Yeah, I agree. I've not, I've not delved into the psychedelic world myself yet. I've, uh, I, I, need, I had an opportunity to go and do ayahuasca a few years ago and I don't know why I, I just it just terrifies me at the time. I mean, a, f- a friend of mine that's that's quite sort of um, into that kind of stuff said they say with ayahuasca you do it when you feel to do it, um, and I didn't at the time. I still felt terrified. <laughs> I think it's there's part of that fear of not being in control. You you know when you get when you drink alcohol, you know roughly what's going to happen when you've had five six pints. You know you're going to feel a bit, but obviously ayahuasca you can have great experiences some people have horrible experiences i think i think it's the, the fear of the unknown which is probably the currency that controls the world really the fear of the unknown that's what scares most people into doing whatever it is they do because their fear of what happens after you die that unknown is, is generally what keeps people in servitude so i think that's uh, yeah that's always put me off but i'll do it one day i'll do it one day well, I think it's wise of you to, um, you know, to listen to your intuition. And, I, you know, I didn't do that shit for, I probably knew about it for 20 years before I ever did it. It's just, yeah. I had to wait until I really felt um, an honest, legitimate yearning that wasn't just to see some bells and whistles and kind of, you know, have some fun seeing, hallucinating seeing colors and whatnot. Like I had to have a very specific intention. And once that attention had arrived in my awareness that I went and explored a bit and, you know, have been for maybe a year and a half. But as I said, I don't think it's for everyone. I don't think you really need to. Many people meditate and they achieve those same states just naturally by accessing their own consciousness and super consciousness and even doing it, you know, with breath work and meditation and things like that, uh, one can pierce the veil and and see that life is much bigger than uh, our physical surroundings uh, lead us to believe. So uh, let's get into uh, your site, Iconic. You know, something that I'm watching emerge uh, online and on social media now are alternative platforms for content as the authoritarian corporate government-controlled big tech companies are tightening their reins and removing information that threatens the official narrative when it comes to um, you know, pharmaceuticals and EMFs and these kinds of things. Uh, how long has that been going and, and what was your inspiration to launch that platform? So we launched on the 5th of November, year just gone. So we've been going uh, just over eight months now. Um, the inspiration for me was that the media has always been the biggest frustration for me. I mean, as we've kind of alluded to already about the, the darkness, you can get into the really dark areas of, you know, satanic abuse, paedophilia, political manipulation, and, and so on. But for me, if the media did their job, that couldn't happen because it would be exposed. So I kind of, look, I kind of, you know, some of them might say harshly, I put all the devastation that, that goes on around the world, I put it at the door of the mainstream media for me. Because, as I say, they've got so much money to have reporters everywhere as they do. And if they did their job, all this corruption, all this 
horrific stuff that goes on around the world should be exposed. It should have been going on for about five minutes before it was exposed. The pandemic at the moment is a perfect example. If the media did their job, this would have been over three, four months ago. Rather than focusing on the fact that, you know, figures are dropping and that there's very little evidence that anyone that's healthy has even has a problem at all. Um, they're focusing on, you know, you have to lock people down. These many people are dying. You have to restrict this. You have to wear masks. And that, so that was my inspiration was I felt that um, with this growing appetite, I, I, kind of, I kind of feel around the world for people wanting substance and wanting a little bit more from their media. They wanted a bit more in depth. They didn't like the, the quick sound bites and the, effectively the propaganda that um, the media put out now. And um, I thought we could do something different. And the reason that we set up the channel as a subscription-based channel was I feel that's the best way to be truly independent because you're only answering to your subscribers. And if your subscribers don't support what you do, then they don't support you by subscribing and therefore the channel doesn't last. Whereas channels like CNN, Fox, BBC here in Britain, they're either state-funded so their allegiance is not to the people, it's to who's funding them. Or they're funded by massive corporations like the big the pharmaceutical companies. I, I dread to think the percentage of marketing that percentage they have on American television. Um, so therefore, there's a conflict of interest there. So you take what's happening now, for example, with all the um, these various pharmaceutical companies fighting for this vaccine. Um, all the mainstream channels in America, particularly where obviously drug adverts are very, very prominent, they've got a conflict of interest exposing whether this vaccine's safe if a certain company is spending however many million dollars a year on the station on advertising. There's a conflict there. Whereas with subscription, there isn't that. Um, and then in terms of um, getting out to a, to a wider audience, I feel one of the, the issues that the alternative media has had over the years has been production value. Um, it's been a lot of people really doing great work, putting out great information. But I think some people look at somebody on CNN, the suit, the smart shirt, on a, in a, a lovely studio with a big LED wall behind them, and they think, oh, this guy's more credible because, you know, look, look what he's got set up. So I think it's finding that balance of trying to put together a, a channel where alternative information is delivered in a package that people are used to seeing. It's delivered with good production values. It's delivered in a... Uh, a decent a decent studio with decent cameras and um and yeah it's put together in a way that that people can try and digest uh, and and see as credible you know that's why if you notice from the film there's it's all mainstream doctors and scientists and psychologists and so on that are in the film it's not um and i think that gives the argument a lot more credibility and that's what we try to do with pretty much every bit of content we've made is is morph the alternative with the with the mainstream people that are, are not getting the airtime, but have the alternative views. Um, and as, as we know, there's a, a massive array of subjects you just don't talk about in the mainstream, or if you do, you only talk about it from one angle. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm very grateful for you and others like you that are um, giving content creators an opportunity to produce high quality content uh, and have it be seen somewhere. You know, I typically on this show, the show isn't based on covering conspiracy theories or politics or racial issues or anything like that. It has a very specific and somewhat narrow focus of talking about health and spirituality, personal development, et cetera. But when the COVID thing happened, even though it, it turned out to be really more of a political issue than a health issue, I felt 
I felt inspired to do some coverage on it uh, after I kind of let it percolate out there for a couple months and sat back. I didn't want to react emotionally, but I really wanted to just gather more information. And uh, I did one interview with Dr. Thomas Cowan, and it was no, it wasn't that one. That one, when I put the Cowan one up on COVID, I used all these different keywords and misspelled anything related to vaccines, COVID, 5G, et cetera. <laughs> Evaded detection on YouTube. But when I did the Dr. Rashid Buttar episode, uh, I I didn't know that the film pandemic had, was coming out when I named it. So the file name on the MP4 that was uploaded had the word pandemic. And so YouTube deleted it. So right. I think we ended up putting it on BitChute and then just linking to it on the YouTube page. But I was like, it's the first time it really hit me. I mean, I've been censored on Instagram for like false information when I, you know, just put a link to a mainstream news story about the COVID test being faulty, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that one was like, oh shit, man, it's, it's, it's not going to be long before these tech platforms render themselves obsolete because even rational kind of middle of the road, moderate people are going to realize that the information is being so carefully curated uh, by those folks with conflicts of interest. You know, it's like, well, why, why can't you ask a question about something? You know, you can't ask a question about vaccine safety or the safety of 5G or any of this without being vilified. I mean, that's got to be um, alarming to people, I think, that are even of the rational, non-conspiratorial mindset. Um, and, and far, as far as the... Uh, iconic site. Is that all content that you guys are producing or do you have other content creators uh, material on there as well? It's a combination. So um, there's a lot of originally produced stuff. So we do a unique uh, series each month uh, and we do four or five films a year and then we license um, a lot of content as well from other creators of stuff that's already out there. And um, we've actually, you know, given given budgets to people that want to make films on certain subjects. Um, so yeah, the, the ambition is to, to basically be a, a Netflix of the alternative where you're, you're focusing on alternative everything. So it's not just, doesn't have to just be, you know, the heavy topics that, that we've, we've spoken about already. We've actually, we're actually launching in September a comedy section where we're focusing on the comics that are a bit more edgy and anti-PC that as, as we know in the, the world of offense rules, are getting gigs cancelled, are getting contracts cancelled, and you're not seeing um, people that make jokes that used to that, were, that used to be funny that are not considered you know allowed anymore by the kind of the progressive um, thought police, if like the social justice warriors, which um, is killing comedy in so many ways. So um, we felt that I didn't expect the channel to go in that direction, but uh, we got approached by a Canadian comedian, um, and then there's a, there's a couple of very good British comedians who I've, I've seen have got in hot water for saying nothing really. Um, so, um, so yeah, we, we're going to, we're going to launch that and hopefully have a home for, for those sort of people as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, the, the idea is to be the alternative, everything. So there's, there's, there's stuff on there from pseudoscience, science, health, um, yet yeah, comedy coming. Um, there's podcasts with people from the world of sport, music, um, drama, and film, um, so there's lots. Of, there's there's a massive array of stuff on there. So it's cool. um, yeah, it's 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 just the start. It's just the start. We'll see where we end up. Well, I appreciate um, what you uh, alluded to in terms of the production value of alternative media. You know, having been someone uh, myself who's been watching really fringe content for a long, long time, 
I mean, I'm going back to uh, DVDs that I had of like Alex Jones breaking into Bohemian Grove and uh, the the films on Harp. For those listening, H A A R P, research it. You'll freak. Um, and chemtrails and things like that. This is going back in kind of early to mid 2000s. And I was working in Hollywood at the time in the entertainment industry. So kind of had that lens of like what real, real production looks like. And I always remember thinking as I watched these really crappy DVDs of just like, God, this information is so good. If somebody would just produce this in a way that was more watchable with better sound and video and just production value graphics, et cetera. Now, of course, technology is caught up a bit too, which has helped. But I think that's been a barrier to entry for people that just don't want to watch like shitty homemade films. Uh, even if the content is compelling, you have to be someone who's really devoted to learning about that particular topic to sit through a really shite production. <laughs> so um, I'm really stoked to hear uh, that you know you're realizing that and presenting things in a way that are that are more you know compelling visually and just in terms of the overall production value. Um, which brings us to the film Unnatural, which is what I really want to talk about here uh, as someone who's very EMF aware. It's something I've spent a lot of time working on, educating people about, uh, because personally, I truly believe that this is uh, the electrosmog issue, this form of pollution is the number one uh, detriment to not only human biology, but I, I believe all life on earth. And so uh, it's an, it's again, it's another one of those topics that kind of crosses over into the geopolitical realm, which is not really my lane, but coming from the health perspective, it's something I'm really concerned about. And uh, to the point where I even just created an online course about how to get your home tested for EMF and how to fix it. Um, but in terms of the activism side and understanding what's going on in the big telecommunication communications companies and the rollout of 5G, I'm not as knowledgeable. So break us down, if you would, uh, you know, what inspired you to make the film and, and give us as many of the nuggets from it as you can um, from your point of view at this point. Yeah. Okay. So um, obviously 5G is a topic that most people listening will have heard of, whether they've heard of it from a good perspective or they've heard the conspiracy theories or whatever, they've heard of what 5G is. Uh, and I kind of see that as someone who's always followed alternative information as it's it's kind of, it's, it's almost like a fork in the road. It seems to have galvanized a lot of groups around the world. A lot of activist groups have started up purely to, to expose and discuss and, and block 5G, which I've, I've found very encouraging. So when obviously we first launched the channel, I thought, right, the first, let's, let's kind of strike while the iron's hot, if you like, let's make a film on a very topical issue. Um, and in the process of kind of the pre-production and the planning, um, I found this a, a big wealth of evidence to suggest that the frequencies that we have now, 3G, 4G, Wi-Fi, and so on, are dangerous. So I thought it's much easier to, to do make a film where we talk about what we've got now, and then towards the end of the film, we introduce 5G. Because by the time you introduce that topic, you've already got the audience 45 minutes into the film, and they're, they're already thinking, okay, what we have now is dangerous, so what's this next stage? rather than just saying, right, well, what's coming next week is going to cause this, it's going to cause that, it's going to cause that. I think exposing what we have now and the fact that that itself is very, very dangerous uh, creates a lot more credibility to the argument that 5G is going to be even more dangerous. So the way that we, uh, we carried out the film is it's almost like a story. 
1988, when the internet came, the dial-up internet came, and, um, and then obviously how that's evolved into the early mobile phones, and then obviously the first iPhone in 2007, which is when the use of tech became a lot more widespread, where you had social media, music, films, all on your phone, all on the palm of your hand in that one device. And since then, obviously, the explosion in the use of technology has it's effectively taken over the world in many ways, socially and, and, uh, and physically, in terms of the number of cell towers, the, the size of cell towers, the number of use of mobile phones, the number of use of, of Wi-Fi and other telecommunication services. The, the radiation in the atmosphere is, has just absolutely exploded. As, as one doctor um, in the film points out, 120 years ago, the frequency band that the telecommunications industry use was, was known as the cosmic quiet space. There was basically no radiation on Earth in that frequency band 120 years ago. We're now exposed to 10 to the power 18, so 10 with 18 zeros after it times more radiation in that band than we were 120 years ago. So just think about the 120 years for a second, how short a time that is, given how long we, 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 we think we know the Earth has been around, to change the environment that dramatically. That's, that's barely a generation of people, a generation and a half of people, really. Um, and the, the widespread use and the widespread rise is generally since about the late 80s, early late 80s, early 90s. Um, so in terms of the, the widespread use of technology, we're, we're, what, 10 years in? Say, say 2010, since 2010, where most people have Wi-Fi in their homes. Pretty much everyone will have a smartphone. Uh, the percentage of kids under the age of 10 that have their own smartphones is extraordinary. So the exposure to the use of, of technology and therefore the radiation, the EMF that comes off it, it's, it's a decade old. So how do we have any evidence to show that's safe? Do we have any evidence on what the long-term impacts could be to psychology, to um, physical health? Uh, um, to show it's safe, certainly to show it's safe. We have a lot of evidence to show that it causes a range of, of issues. Um, there's an illness now called EHS, electromagnetic hypersensitivity, um, which are people that suffer some of the most severe types of response to EMF, things like headaches, nausea, tinnitus, um, tiredness, really kind of debilitating things that could, that could help you, that massively impact you living a normal life, having a job, going, you know, all those things. Um, and then in the more severe cases, the rise in, in various types of cancer, aggressive brain tumours, because, you know, your phone's right next to your head. It's a in few inches away from your brain. Um, the, um, the decrease in sperm rates for men that keep their phone in their front pockets. The, um, the, the issues with, um, with birth defects has been, a, has been, you know, widely talked about. So th there's a lot there to be cautious of. and. It's, 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 it kind of um, correlates with so many things that, that, that we, we talk about in the world where they've not really hidden this evidence very well because if you look for it, it is there. For example, um, EMF is classed as a type 2 carcinogen, which means potentially cancerous and something to be cautious about. Okay, so if you look at that, you'd think, well, why are we rolling this out everywhere then? Why does every house have a Wi-Fi router? Why does every house have five or six devices? I mean, I guarantee if you put your phone on now and put the Wi-Fi on, you'll pick up 
what, 10, 15, 20 Wi-Fi signals off one device, times that by the probably four or five devices most people have in their homes, you're getting hammered all the time. That's not being cautious. Um, and the, the precautionary principle that a lot of doctors talk about, which is, at first, we do no harm. So first, it's not up to us to prove it's dangerous. It's up to you to prove it's safe. And that's never been done. And I think we're going to see an enormous, we already are seeing enormous increases in cancer rates, but I think we're going to see even more enormous increases in cancer rates as we go through the next decade and beyond. We're going to see massive psychological issues with particularly young people because they're not going to develop in the same way. Their um, cognitive development is not going to happen in the same way because of neuro, neuroplasticity when you, uh, as your brain develops, you know, neurons that fire together, wire together. So what you spend a lot of your time doing, that's what your neurostructure goes to. You know, you spend a lot of time playing music or instruments, you're going to, that's what your structure goes to. You learn languages a lot, that's what your structure will go to and you'll find that easy. If you're gaming all the time, if you're watching television all the time, if you're constantly on your phone or on social media, that's what your structure is going to go to and it's going to become hardwired. And the older you get, the harder it's going to become to rewire and undo that damage. And that's why I think the unfettered use of cell phones, particularly with the young, the unfettered use of social media with the young is going to have a huge impact on their health and development as they grow up. And you're going to have an entire generation of people that don't know how to form meaningful relationships, that only have superficial interaction with other people, that when they need when they're stressed and when they need support, they're not going to go to people, they're going to go to phones, they're going to go to technology, they're going to go to devices. And I think it, it's, it's a very, very dangerous thing because the, the kids of today are the leaders and the adults of tomorrow. And I, for one, with a young son, don't even want to think about what the world's going to be like in, in 20 years, in 25 years, 30 years. I mean, I remember I was probably 11 years old when my mum got her first mobile phone and it was a phone that you could use as a phone. That was it. And to see that evolve into texting, into all these apps, into social media, into all the um, things you can now do on a cell phone with music and stream films and all those sorts of things. So I, I think it's a very dangerous um, precedent. And, and the question is, where does it end? Does it end with a chip in your brain? Is that? I mean, that sounds like a crazy theory, but that's what these Silicon Valley guys that are behind a lot of this technology development, that's what they're saying is the next step. So it's not really a theory. It's, it's what they're saying is next. And at what point does the phone not become enough? So I think there's massive impacts for physical health and, and mental health and psychology. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. If you listen to this show, you know that I always say nature is the ultimate biohack, right? So I've been doing a simple and natural therapy in my house every morning and sometimes in the evening for the past three years, and it has worked wonders for me. I've seen a huge boost in my testosterone levels. I have way less inflammation, and my skin complexion has never been clearer. What's the secret? Well, every morning I spend about 10 to 15 minutes in front of my Juve red light therapy system. That's J-O-O-V-V. Natural light is crucial for your cellular health, and most of us don't get nearly enough light for optimal health. But with my Juve, I get a full day's worth of healthy natural light in just a few minutes right in my own home. Problem solved. I mean, I live in LA. It's sunny, but honestly, some days I don't get out there and do as much as I'd like to. 
So the natural light from a juve supercharges the mitochondria in your cell so your body can make more energy. There's all kinds of health benefits backed up by thousands of peer-reviewed clinical studies for those of you that like that. For the simple version of it, you can just go to juve.com forward slash Luke. That's J-O-O-V-V.com forward slash Luke. Over there, you're going to get a special bonus from the team at Juve, and you can dive into the research as to the efficiency and legitimacy of this therapy. That's juve.com forward slash Luke. Check it out. And now back to the interview. I've observed uh, recently with some of the <laughs> some of the the social unrest and the the antics of these uh, violent hate groups like Antifa. Uh, I picture those kids, you know, growing up as gamers, just sitting yeah. being fried by EMF and you know, just becoming, God bless them, but becoming deranged from like lack of human contact and blue light exposure all night long and and perhaps just living in city centers where the level of EMF is um, is just scrambling people's brains. And I know from uh, personal experience, I, I would say I'm on the spectrum of being pretty sensitive to EMFs myself. When you're getting acute exposure to cell towers, it makes you crazy. I mean, it's not it's not good for your neurotransmitters, your hormones, just your sense of well-being. It causes so much anxiety. I think a lot of the people that we're seeing online that are just acting freaking crazy have got it's got to have something to do with like EMFs scrambling their brains and just making them completely illogical and violent. Um, that's just my theory. I don't, you know, I don't know. Um, in terms of interviewing the scientists and doctors and experts and stuff in the film, uh, did anyone present any hope or um, any different of technology where data could be carried wirelessly in a way that's safe? Have you heard any talk of that potentially being on the horizon? Oh, we didn't go into that too much. It was it was mainly how to reduce the exposure at, at the, the way things are at the moment. Because we kind of we kind of look at it this way: is the governments have had numerous voices from science explain that this is dangerous, and they've they've done nothing with that information. They've they've clearly prioritised tech companies' wishes and profits and influence over the public safety of, of their of their country. We've seen the same thing with smoking. I think there's a massive parallel between the smoking industry and, and the technology industry and the fact it took so long for the smoking industry to acknowledge that there was a problem. And by that time, it had cost millions of lives already. I don't want the same thing to happen again. That, that, that kind of was answer to your first question. Why did we compel to make the film? Um, so we were, we were basically working on how can you reduce the exposure if basically no one listens. So things like wire, using wired rather than using wireless. Um, I don't have Wi-Fi in my house. Uh, I have everything wired. Um, there's, there's certain things you can, you can do to protect your, your home, carbon paint. You can have certain types of um, shielding on your windows to reduce your exposure. Don't use your phone unless you have to. Um, you know, have it on, I have mine on flight mode through the night. I have a hardwired landline, so if there's an emergency, someone can get hold of me. And... I think it's you kind of have to. It's, it's it's easy to separate the social and the physical issues of technology, but I think they're very they're very intertwined because 
I think because of Wi-Fi, because of cell phones, because of how easily accessible it is, because of this technology, because of the EMF, because of wireless and so on, it's so easily accessible. It then makes it so easy to impact social relationships. So the fact that you can go out for a meal, and then because there's Wi-Fi pretty much everywhere now, and there's 4G and 3G everywhere now, you can be sat with your girlfriend, but instead of talking to her, you're both scrolling on your phones. You can be out with your kid, but instead of talking to him, he's on an iPad and you're you're trying to have a com- you're having a conversation or you're on your phone. I think because it's so easily accessible, that makes that very simple, which affects the social side of it. So I think it's just a case of, from my perspective, it's just a case of what, why? Why do you need to use this all the time? Why do you need your phone on you 24-7? Why do you need to be on it all the time? Why do you need a wireless network? And be, why, why do you need to be sat on an iPad scrolling through shopping while watching something on the telly while your husband's sat playing a game on his device? Why do you need that? We haven't had that for forever. We've had it for the last decade. So why do we need that now? Um, and I think a hope that came from um, the doctors is that kind of similar to the hope that I've got really is that 5G seems to have galvanized so many people that it's forcing this debate to happen. It's forcing the, the public debate on technology to happen, which it probably wouldn't have done without it. I think if 5G doesn't come along, then I think a lot, I mean, no one's really talking about 4G and 3G and the dangers of that yet. Um, I think they will do in time as the, the health impacts and the health um, effects become more prevalent through time and longer exposure to it. So I see that as, the, as I said earlier, the fork in the road. I see it as the point where people go, actually, I don't want a cell tower outside my front room. I don't want one every three lampposts, which is what they want with 5G because it doesn't travel very well through hard structures. So they'll have to put the towers very close to the people. You know, why? for two reasons. One, I think most people would look and probably think that's not good. But also, people are probably thinking, why do we need it? You know, I can download my movie on Netflix five seconds quicker. Why do I need that? <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. Um, why, do, why do I need that? Um, what we have now is perfectly adequate. We're sat, I'm sat here in, uh, in England, you're sat in America, we're talking with no lag, and, and it's very clear. Why do we need towers outside your house and outside my house to make that what, two, 1% better? Why do we need it? So I think that's another big uh, resistance to 5G is, is just the sheer necessity is, is clearly not needed. Um, you're going to massively uproot streets and build these horrible towers outside people, people's houses, which don't look very nice. Um, the exposure is, is very high because the distance between you and the tower is tiny. Um, so I, I think that's where the hope comes from, that 5G is is almost like that it's going to actually be the catalyst to bring it down. They think it's going to be the catalyst to take it forward, and it might actually be the catalyst to bring it down. Did you guys cover uh, the different phases of the 5G rollout from the research that I did when I was putting together my course? Uh, you know, we've got a couple companies here in the States, for example, like in LA, you've got Verizon says that they have 5G and also uh, T-Mobile. When I went around and tested the towers, there were no millimeter waves happening, like the real 5G that you're describing where it's short range, you have to have many cell sites everywhere and all that. Uh, We didn't find any of that. But what we found was that 
the existing 4G network was still operating in the gigahertz range. I think it was like 1900 megahertz, which would be 19 gigahertz, which is technically in that new 5G millimeter range. And that was on four, that was already here on 4G. Yeah, 4G LTE is usually ranges from 2000 to 6000 megahertz. So yeah, between 20 to 60. Which is really the thing people are worried about with 5G anyway. So it's like in the current version of 5G, which is not predominantly the the short range millimeter wave stuff that's super scary, uh, that we're already living in a soup just with the two, three, four, and the first phase of 5G, we're already completely swimming in all of these insane frequencies without the real 5G even being here yet. The one that has these faster download speeds and all the shit that we really yeah. don't care about. We are, yeah. And, and what we have now is very dangerous, as I've said, and the evidence is, is quite clear for that. Even the mainstream studies that have, we done, have been done sorry, have concluded that there's, there's a lot of dangers with these. There's been um, numerous studies that have shown that there's a massive increase in, in various types of cancers. So I think, yeah, 5G is a... It, the, the version that's out now, as you say, is not too much stronger than, than 4G LTD, which is kind of the, the, the higher ends of 4G. It's the millimeter waves. It's the higher uh, short range waves that you mentioned. They're the ones that we've, we've concluded react a lot more with biological systems. Um, so the difference between millimeter waves and microwaves, which are where we are now, microwaves, is uh, the wave that's going through the air is a lot shorter. Now, we actually feel that that's more dangerous because the analogy that we use is if you imagine a balloon, a blown up balloon, if you um, had a, an average of, of the amount of pressure that you're putting on it, so say what, what the, the governments consider the safe levels of radiation, and you put that over your whole hand, the balloon's probably not going to explode. But you put the same amount of pressure surrounded one pin, the balloon will explode. So therefore, with 5G, where there's long periods of no exposure at all, then there's a sharp spike with the millimeter wave, and then there's a long period where there's nothing at all. The average value doesn't work because over the average, the average exposure is probably not very low. But the sharp spike, as with the analogy, it's the sharp spike that, that pops the balloon. It's that that can cause problems. And, and that's why we need a completely new way of working out what's considered a safe exposure. Um, I don't believe the safety limits that we have at the moment are safe. I don't believe they're actually thought through. Um, and the fact that they're going to use the same levels for 5G and in fact increase, increase them um, is just, there's no evidence to show that's safe. They've not done a single country's worth of research, research, no research whatsoever. And the fact that they're allowed to roll out this system worldwide without doing that, when they already class EMFs as two, level two carcinogens that are potentially cancerous, you're now lower, you're now rolling out an even higher power around the world with no testing at all. You're using the population as the guinea pigs. And because of the way the world is, we're exposed to so many things these days in our diet, in our environment that are not great, that it is very difficult for, for people to prove that it's 5G or it's certain technologies that are causing these problems. What is it that's making people more unhealthy, more jumpy, more tired, more lethargic, less motivated? You could probably find 50 things that most people, in ingredients that most people probably have in their houses, that they could claim cause that. So it's, it, how they've been allowed to do it is, is extraordinary as far as
far as I'm concerned. The, go- the governments that should be protecting the people have just seen the pound signs and the dollar signs uh, to sell off the spectrum licenses for the, the companies to use the frequencies uh, rather than look at the, the health of the, the population. And people might look at that and think that's a very strange thing to do, but uh, a doctor in, in the film called Alistair Phillips, who's a British doctor, um, uses the same point to des- to describe what, what he discovered with the smoking industry. Al- Alistair was very in with lots of public health England officials that are the organisation that supposedly advised the NHS and, and advised the government on health policy. And he was at a meeting and he asked one of the health advisors, he said, basically, why did it take so long for there to be an advert about the dangers of smoking and cancer? Surely the health costs of the NHS treating all these people that were getting these cancers just surely made, made it obvious to explain that it's dangerous. And the health official said, Actually, we make about £10 billion a year more in taxes on cigarette and tobacco-related products than when it costs us to treat the people. And he said, even more importantly than that, smokers on average die 10 years younger and we save 10 years of state pensions. Now, that sounds really cynical, but that was government thinking on smoking. Uh, and as I said earlier, I see a huge parallel between this. If, if people are getting aggressive brain cancers in their 50s and 60s then they're not that bothered you've paid your taxes um and and i think that there's 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 no there's no evidence to show that the governments are interested in in knowing the downside of this In, in the uk alone the government under tony blair i believe it was were paid billions to for the by the tech companies for the spectrum licenses to sell off the 3G spaces in Britain, and they spent I believe 3.5 million on looking at the dangers. So you're getting billions in, and you're spending a fraction, a fraction, on looking at the potential dangers of it. Um, they're not interested. Simple as that. They're not interested. So we have to do it ourselves. We have to stand up and fight back, and we have to refuse to, you know, people need to stop using the technology in such a large, you know, on, on such a large level and they'll be forced to, to do something about it because the reason they're able to keep pushing this is because people want it. People want more. They want 5G and then when that's here, they'll want 6G and then they'll want 7G and they'll, they'll want to be able to press a little button on the side of their head and their phone menu appears in front of them in, in a virtual reality format, you know. Where does it end? I, I can't help but thinking that the motive of the multinational telecommunication uh, industry, those corporations, is not to provide faster downloads. It's like you said, like, shit downloads fast enough. Like, I don't know, Netflix works. Any streaming service, as long as you have a decent connection, works. Uh, It seems to me that there, as you kind of indicated there a moment ago, that the the financial incentive to build the infrastructure, right? It's those companies are going to have to sell more cell sites and more equipment. There's going to have to be people that go to install it. There's going to be uh, payments made to different cities, states, et cetera, uh, to lease space to put the infrastructure in. And then the other element to me that seems to be at play here would be uh, the uh, greater capacity for mass surveillance of the populace. Because when everyone is connected to the Internet of Things and you have self-driving cars and there's face recognition cameras everywhere and kind of what we're seeing as the prototype for uh, what could unfortunately be the future of, of, you know, Western civilization in that totalitarian kind of control grid where there's all this surveillance. uh, To me, the motive has got to be somewhere in those realms 
for them to be pushing so hard. And also when it comes to 5G, the suppression of opposing views or people asking questions. I mean, I've seen a lot of this in the UK where it's just like, you know, Brian Rose on London Real just got all his shit shut down. Essentially, the main thing he got hassled for talking about was the possible health risks of 5G, you know, and if there are health risks, then why would that be so threatening to the establishment? If it's safe, then we should all be able to just talk about it all day long without being (laughs) censored, you know? So um, based on doing the film Unnatural, did you come to any conclusions about the deeper motives beyond just the financial? Did you uncover anything in terms of, you know, the future ability of mass surveillance? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you can break it down in so many different levels and different layers of conspiracy. As you say, the first one could just be profit. You know, pure profit, it's much better for these tech companies to have eyes on phones and eyes on the internet than it is to have eyes on other people. Um, And that's why I think there's been a massive hit to divide people. And obviously this pandemic's done that even more so. People are communicating through technology more than they've ever communicated through technology before. Um, because of the, the social distancing and the lack of being able to travel. So so that that's definitely a very simple way to get through to people. Anyone that doesn't believe in conspiracy theory is fine, but just look at this. This is pure from a pure profit perspective. They're clearly ignoring this, the health effects. But yeah, I think there's a, there's a genuine kind of march towards submission, towards control, towards surveillance. Um, I've not looked if it's the same in America, but here now with this, they've released lots of track and trace apps. So when you go into shops, when you go into bars, restaurants, you have to give your number and your name and they'll download this app. And if someone tests positive coronavirus, they'll tell you and then you have to isolate. You know, it's crazy. The, the, um, the potential for the misuse of that data and of people's information is extraordinary. Um, and, and you mentioned one thing there, the internet of all things, which is where your fridge is online, your phone's obviously online, your car's online, your whole house is online. So a fridge is going to monitor what you eat. Your smart television's monitoring what film you watch, what your emotional reaction to the film that you've watched. You know, smart hoovers will tell you how, how tidy someone keeps their flat, which will give you an idea of their psychology. Are they this? Are they that? It's extraordinary. I mean, for what possible benefit is that? Um, and obviously, as I mentioned earlier, the next step and the final step they're talking about is the, the implant of, of nanotechnology into your brain. And I think just to put that into context for people, most people would probably agree that they've had conversations with friends and family and public. And then later you might, you might get a, uh, you might get an advert on Facebook for whatever it is you've talked about. Say it's a product, say it's a holiday, say it's a car. What happens when you think, when you have an implant in your brain and you're thinking, I'll say, oh, I think I should go to um, Applebee's for dinner tonight. How do you know you've thought that? Well, how do you know that hasn't been just planted to you? How do you know that's not a marketing campaign that, that, that can be abused, that can just plant thoughts into your brain to go and do X, Y, and Z, buy a certain product, go on a certain vacation, date a certain person? There's, once, once we get to that level, there's, there's, there's as... The the level for manipulation and the level for control is is ridiculous. It's it's literally turning humans into cyborgs. And the fact that so many people seem excited that that's the next stage terrifies me. <laughs> Absolutely terrifies me. Like I remember there was a there was a good passage in the um, the Joe Rogan podcast with Elon Musk where he talked about he asked Elon Musk about you know where we where are we going to be in twenty years when. 
um, you know, we've got these virtual reality headsets. Where are we going to be in 20 years when we're kind of, we're taking the mick out of what it is now and we've gone to this next level? And, and Elon Musk says it will be indistinguishable from reality. You won't be able to tell the difference between virtual reality and actual reality. And I, I believe that to be true. Um, the architecture of video games is the same as the architecture of our reality. So the, the ability to, to basically make that indistinguishable is very much there. Probably in, in, in underground bases, it's probably there already. Um, but once you, you, yeah, once you put an implant in people's brains, how do you know it's you that's having those emotions, those thoughts, those desires? It's, I think it's absolutely terrifying. And like I said, I'm, I'm, I find it astonishing that people seem to think that's a good idea. When we've survived on this planet, whichever, whatever your belief, whether it's science, whether it's evolution, whether it's um, a form of religion, we've been on this planet for a very, very long time and we've managed to survive without this. So in the space of, say, say they, say they managed to get that in by 2030, from 1980 to 2030, so in 50, was that, how many years? Um, 50 years, you've basically gone from no technology to technology in people's brains. That's, uh, I can't even imagine some, you couldn't explain that to somebody who hadn't witnessed it, the transformation of society uh, in such a short space of time. So that, that's where I see it going. If, if people don't, if people continue with the, we want more, we want more, we want more, and we don't have a, a real hard reset and a hard evaluation of our use of technology. And I think it's, it's very important for, for me to say that I, I, I'm not anti-technology at all. I just want safe technology and I want it to be the servant, not the master. And I think, you know, the use of it in, in certain um, areas of medicine that's allowed people, to, war veterans, to walk again that would have never walked again. It's allowed uh, various different um, things in uh, with neurological issues where people can speak and can understand that they would never have done so. I think technology has given us some great achievements. It's given us air travel. It's given us cars. It's given us trains. It's given us some great things in life. But I think the relationship between technology and, and humanity has become unhealthy. It's become unhealthy from a physical and a social perspective. And it's time to, to do a hard break and evaluate it, I think. Evaluate all use of it. Yeah, I think another... Uh uh, motive there in terms of the surveillance too is the the monetary value of uh, data collection. You know, as the Internet of Things and five G moves forward, and you know, nanotechnology and AI and all of this transhumanism uh, geared um, uh, progress, <laughs> if you could call it that, <laughs> regression would be uh, more my my take on it. But imagine how much data can be collected through everything being wired yeah. all the time, as you described. And uh, it seems to me that the monetary motive would perhaps be even more so in that, that just every move you make is tracked and that data is worth something to these uh, corporations that essentially you know, consolidate uh, power and markets and um, essentially run the world economy. Yeah. The more they know about you as a private citizen, the more valuable your data is. And that's the best way to collect it. Did you guys uh, kind of delve into that aspect of it in the film? We delved into that a bit. We actually have a politician in the film, um, a guy called Dr. Klaus Buschner, who's a, a member of the European Parliament uh, for West Berlin. 
and he talked a lot about the the damage the uh, dangers for democracy and that kind of made me think of a film on netflix called the great hack where they focus on um the influence that cambridge analytica had on the american election the last american election and that organization claimed to have 5000 data points on every american voter which is terrifying wow. and that yeah exactly that's terrifying um so i think the the potential to to influence people um to, to think a certain way, to act a certain way, is extraordinary. I mean, you can see that now, as we said a minute ago, with, with being shown adverts for something. So, you know, you might have mentioned something and then you're shown an advert for it and then you look at it, you read it more, you view it more, and then that can have a massive impact on your attitude towards something from, from one potentially innocent conversation has then led you down a rabbit hole, which if it was being used for good, I wouldn't mind so much, but... Um, it's obviously not. So yeah, the the the, the potential for, for influencing people's thoughts and opinions when you've got that much information on people is extraordinary. You know, you you'll know people's preferences on on everything. You know, on what they eat, what they drive, where they go, what kind of women they want to date, um, and you can you can influence them enormously with all that information. Yeah, the reason private information is called private information is because it's exactly that. It's information that you give out at your discretion. You give it out to the people that you trust and the people that you want to have that information about you. It's personal. It's private. It's of no interest to a corporation. How does that benefit your life? Um, so I, I would, again, massively encourage people to, to, to really just look at that and just sit down and have a look and think, do we need that? Do I need a certain, the X, Y, and Z corporations to know this much information about me, about my preferences on everything? How is that benefiting my life? Because it's taking out the mystery of life a little bit as well. It's taking out the wonder, the um, you know, the the mystery, the you know, the spontaneity of life. It's almost it's making things foregone conclusions. You know what's going to happen. You know what's coming. You know where you're going to go. You know how you're going to feel about this situation because everything's kind of decided for you to an extent. Um, whereas I love, love the idea of, of almost doing a really hard reset, as I've said, and going back to how things probably were a while ago when people used to actually speak to each other, first of all. Um, if someone had a problem, you went around the house and you spoke to them about it. You didn't text them. You didn't WhatsApp them. You didn't FaceTime them. You went and actually spoke to them. You had human interaction. You hugged another person. You didn't send a hug emoji. Um, so, yeah, I think the, there's so many areas of it that I, I think we need to really evaluate. But the, the, the biggest thing I'd advise people is just sit down and actually think deep down, what of this is benefiting me? Is social media benefiting my life? Is it making me feel better or is it making me feel worse? When I go on Instagram and see, um, see a girl that I look like, oh, I don't look like her, but okay, Is it making me feel more confident? Is it making me feel more about my, you know, is it making me want to do things with my life? Or is it making me depressed? Is it making me unmotivated? Is it making me isolate myself? Am I not seeing my friends because I'm binging television online or I'm, um, or I'm constantly on Facebook, which so many people are? It's, yeah, it's just, just evaluate it. Do, do you need it? Do you use it? To benefit your life or is it a, is it an addiction is it is it something you just do because it it's just what people do now right so, it's yeah. like 
or do you use it or does it use you? Uh, yeah. As we uh, come to a close here, I, I got to ask you something. Uh, in terms of the mainstream media, uh, the corrupt elements of that, which are maybe 99.9% of it, in my estimation, uh, now anyone that questions the safety of 5G is called a conspiracy theorist. And I've noticed this especially true in the UK, uh, to the point where now you have citizens going out and tearing down cell towers around the UK. How, how prevalent is that? A, uh, B, what are some perhaps more productive and less crazy ways that people can um, mobilize, not only educate themselves, but once they get educated, watching a film like Unnatural, for example, or listening to this, uh, what's a more constructive way that people can um, mobilize and start to build awareness around this particular topic? Yeah, there was a phase of about two or three weeks, probably six weeks ago now, where a few towers around the country were, were vandalized and set on fire and so on. It was quite a big story. And one key thing to point out with the, the media coverage of 5G conspiracy theorists is at no point did they explain why they were conspiracy theorists. They just said misleading claims of 5G. But they never claimed what they were, and they never then provided any counter-argument to say, well, 5G, this, this misleading claim is crap because this is safe and this is why. It's it's literally, you know, almost the propaganda of say it for long enough and people will believe it. There's been no there's been no evidence to show that 5G is safe. And even the press aren't saying it is. They're just saying these are crazy conspiracy theorists, but not explaining why. Whereas with my attitude towards the media, is if someone said something which I thought was crazy and we could substantially substantially prove it was crazy, I'd go, right, get this guy on my show. We'll get this scientist who's supporting it on my show. We'll have a debate. And this scientist will blow this crazy guy's argument out of the water and this argument's done forever. Instead, they do the opposite. They censor it and that's usually the sign that there's something in what's being said and there's something to hide. Um, in terms of productive ways people can, can do more, there's a, there's a small town in, in England called Totnes where an, a large enough group got together and um, petitioned to the local authority um, and they've actually blocked 5G being rolled out in that town. So that goes to show that what can be done on a small scale, which, you know, it sounds small, a small town in England, but what if every small town across America, if every small town across England did exactly the same, all of a sudden then the small scale becomes the larger scale. So that's definitely an option. You just go on Facebook alone and you'll see hundreds and hundreds and thousands of uh, 5G and anti-5G and 5G awareness groups from all over the world. Um, we've got a couple of uh, ladies from Stop 5G Australia and they've got over 70,000 members. So uh, there's definitely a, a big group, a big you know number of groups on Facebook for that to get educated and to learn more and to, to join people in your area that support what, uh, what, you, what you might do as well. But, they're, they're, you know, I, I wouldn't condone violence, but um, I will say, and I'll, I'll say it again, I'm not condoning violence at all, but no one's dying by burning down a cell tower. <laughs> I'm, not saying, I'm not saying go and burn down a cell tower at all. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying in terms of th there, there does come a point where people have to make a choice and some people might see that as the only option. I don't. I think stop using it. What if no one buys the latest Huawei or Samsung or iPhone that's 5G? What if no one buys it? I think people don't really realize what their power is. 
I remember one of the, the things that made me so kind of right, we can do anything here was um, a company like Coca-Cola, for example, the fragility of that. I, I read an article about if people around the world didn't buy Coke for two days, they'd go bankrupt. Oh, wow. Now you think, about, you think about a company the size of Coke, that's how, you know, they're enormous, but obviously the amount they sell daily is extraordinary as well. But the fragility of that, that two days. So if all, all these big tech companies release the latest 5G technology and people just don't use it, people don't buy the cell phones that are compatible with it, they don't buy the tablets that are compatible with it, they don't upgrade their Wi-Fis to have 5G in it, then they've spent billions on out, rolling out this technology that people are simply not using. They'll be forced to turn it off. They'll be forced to reevaluate. So there's there's lots of things people can do, um, but but the key to any kind of fight back is becoming aware. I think I think you've got to get educated on it. Don't just take anyone's. Uh, that's one thing that I think people in the alternative do a lot is they read one article and think they know what they're talking about on the subject. Keep reading. Read more. Um, I thought I knew a bit about this subject when we started making the film. I realised I knew very little, and I've had a great education through it. And I'm continuing to, to, to carry that on. So don't just look at one article and believe what someone's saying. Don't watch Unnatural and believe it. Watch Unnatural and think, right, I want to know more. And then educate yourself more. Um, and then you're more armed to go out and, uh, and actually make a contribution to, to changing this. Sage advice. Yeah, when it comes to the, the, the cell towers being torn down, uh, I, of course, officially on record do not condone the destruction of private property and violence. But at the same time, I have to admit there is a a side of me that kind of chuckles inside, you know, when I see one of those go down. Like the guy in Australia who took a like a tank and knocked down a cell tower. It's like, you know, not the best approach, but there there was some small satisfaction in that. And as I see, I don't know if it's happening over there, but in America, you know, so many of our monuments and statues are being uh, torn down every time, you know, a group galvanizes to take a piece of concrete down from being erect and laying it flat on the ground or dragging it into a moat or whatever. I think, God, if everyone was just doing this to sell towers, be a lot better world. That said, not suggesting that I think your sound and sober uh, route of doing things legally and ethically is the way to go. But man, it's just as someone who's been personally very negatively affected by cell towers specifically, they're kind of like my arch nemesis. Yeah. You know, um, so anyway, man, well, I think that probably uh, wraps us up here. I want to thank you for coming on the show and uh, and for doing the work that you're doing in the world, man. It's brave people like you and your dad and your brother uh, who are willing to withstand censorship, oppression, deplatforming, uh, ridicule, etc., cetera, um, all for the cause of uh, discovering truth and sharing that truth uh, to the best of your ability and knowledge. So thank you for doing that. Uh, Thanks. People find the film and uh, your work iconic anywhere you want to point them to if they want to learn more. Yeah, so it's just uh, www.iconic with a K, I C K O N I C dot com. Uh, anyone gets a seven day free trial, um, and there's thousands of hours of content on there, of course, a range of subjects, and uh, new stuff comes every day. So, um, so yeah, anyone can jump on and watch Unnatural for nothing. Okay, cool. And, uh, so, oh, I know one last question. And that is, uh, who have been three teachers or teachings that have influenced your life and your work that you might share with the audience? Okay. Um, obviously I've kind of got to say my dad for one, um, for 
give me the attitude of you can do whatever you like, you can do whatever you feel to be right and achieve whatever um, you put your mind to and don't take no for an answer. And, um, you know, if you get knocked back, keep going. I think uh, Martin Luther King is a massive influence on that with, again, with that attitude of, you know, even if it's unpopular and in his case, even if it gets you murdered, you, you do what you believe to be right. You say what you think is right and stand for your truth, even at personal sacrifice. And then another one is, um, I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head, but uh, they made an amazing film about it called Hacksaw Ridge, which was an American soldier in the Vietnam War who refused to go into the war with a weapon. He went in and said, there's enough, hard, there's enough hardship here, I don't want to cause any more. And he went in as a medic and was abused and was ridiculed. And in the end, in one day, on a place called Hacksaw Ridge, um, saved... Uh, I believe it was about 73 men. So um, I think I've got that wrong. It was the Second World War, sorry. But but yeah, that yeah, that young man who, again, stood up for what he believed to be right, even at personal sacrifice, and in the end was the hero and is now somebody who is celebrated and honoured. Uh, and when the film was released, I believe two years ago, was still alive and uh, has been given the highest honour you can get from the American military. But at the time, was ridiculed. And I think that's very prevalent to, well, for my dad and, and, and probably for myself, where you're, you're probably not going to get thanks when you're doing it, but in, high, in, in retrospectively, people would appreciate what you've done. And that's not why you do it, but I think it just shows that if you do what you think is right, eventually, uh, eventually it'll be shown that way, even if you have to deal with some abuse on the way. Awesome. Thank you. I've never heard of that. I'm going to check it out. Uh, I want to ask you one last question. And that is, uh, I think I might've even asked your dad this. Have there been any points where you feared for the safety of your dad because so many of his views have come to light as being true over time and, and his, the information he's sharing is so potentially damaging to the, the establishment, to the cult, as he calls it. Have, have you ever worried like walking around the street with your dad, like shit, someone's following us or anything weird like that? Or do you guys just keep charging ahead? Yeah. It's never even crossed my mind really. Uh, wow. You came to one of our shows, <laughs> the amount of times we've come into places and they've been who's David's security? And I'd be like, oh, you're looking at him. If something kicks off, it's just me, I'm afraid. But yeah, no, it's never even crossed my mind. The only time I feared for him was the night that Leicester City won the Premier League um, <laughs> in England. And uh, <laughs> we were both so drunk. And uh, when he, when he, when I dropped him off at his hotel, he was, I uh, didn't know if you'd see him the next day. <laughs> right. But yeah, no, it's never, um, it's never crossed our minds. We, we very much have the attitude that you bring what you manifest. And if you don't even consider that to be a possibility, then it can't manifest. And, and we're both of that attitude. No one, you can't be taken out. If you're taken out, then uh, you must believe that can happen. And we don't. Awesome. Awesome, dude. Thank you so much. All right, man. Well, I'm going to bid you farewell. And uh, I can't wait to, to watch this film. Normally, I watch them before uh, I do the interview. And I realized today is the 15th of July as we record this 2020. And it's been out for five days. I'm like, God damn it. So... I can't wait to watch it. And I want to encourage everyone else uh, listening to watch the film and support the work that you guys are doing at uh, iconic.com and uh, to keep, to keep uh, you know, sharing alternative points of view like this. I think that's the only shot that humanity has is to have daring conversations that 
sometimes get uncomfortable and sharing them far and wide so that, uh, you know, we're not dependent on single sources of information that oftentimes have conflicts of interest at their core and uh, are intentionally, in some cases, misleading us or filtering out certain information through censorship. So um, I thank you for the work that you're doing and thank you for coming on the show, dude. Thanks a lot. Well, I have to say I didn't anticipate that this conversation would have been so fun and lighthearted when we're talking about the topics of EMF and the fact that we're all being radiated by a bunch of lab rats by these greedy, unconscious telecommunications companies and the governments that uh, they pay off to allow that to happen. Uh, it can get quite dark and scary. And so I love that Jamie kind of has this really casual approach to it, yet at the same time, delivering the facts, delivering the science, putting out great films, podcasts, content about this uh, particular topic. And it's something that I'm completely passionate about. I have been for many years. And this is really, you know, born out of my personal experience, man. I don't know if I never would have been negatively affected by EMFs. I would probably think it's no big deal. They're invisible. You can't see them, whatever. Just eat organic and live happily ever after. But uh, because I've been so negatively impacted personally, and I've just had so many health problems as a result of EMF, that's why I'm just consistently reminded that this is great information to share, and especially to share in a way that's not taking it all too seriously. I mean, there's just certain things that you can't control in the world, right? But I do like to share information, uh, let people research that information and do what they want with it. And I think if we all band together, um, we can all agree on one thing, and that is we should not be polluting our environment with electrosmog that harms everyone, whether they're aware of it or not. And I think this is one of those issues that in 20, 50, 100 years, we're going to look back and just give ourselves a big, you know, palm to the forehead emoji like, oh, how could we have been so stupid? But human beings historically have tended to be uh, quite myop- myopic. Is that the word? <laughs> I think, you know, we just see what's right in front of us, right? We don't think, oh, how's this going to affect, you know, uh, the civilization in 100 years or 500 years if you look back on asbestos or leaded gasoline and leaded paint and uh, smoking at the doctor's office and things now that seem completely ludicrous to us. Uh, I think that's what the EMF you know, world crisis is going to end up being. And I have all the faith in humanity and in the brilliant scientists and engineers around the world and those that will uh, come to light that there are ways for us to enjoy our technology and the speed of our communications without destroying our health and you know, threatening the lives of, of all living things on the planet. There just has to be a way to carry information. And so I'm looking forward to uh, that day. And in the meantime, I'm going to keep sharing information like this and encourage people to stay sane about it, not to freak out, but to educate themselves. So uh, as I indicated in the intro, I'm really excited to drop my online course this week called the EMF Home Safety Masterclass. You can go to lukestory.com slash EMF Masterclass to get your hands on that. The good news is it's only $149 and it's over five hours of content. Uh, tons and tons of videos. I really think like I cover just about everything you could ever want to know about EMF from there's even a bonus video about like how to uh, find out the different cell towers in your neighborhood and which ones look like and what the different frequencies are and how to go online and search for cell towers near where you live without even driving around and all the different sources of the various EMF in your house and some really practical and easy ways to fix it. And um, it's also presented in a way where 
You know, you can go all out if you have the time and money to do so and just turn your house into a complete healing sanctuary. But there's also ways just to, you know, help you teach you how to use your phone and computer without being completely fried by it and ways to deal with your router in your home and even to eliminate Wi-Fi in your house and hardwire your home and all sorts of different things. So it's kind of an enter at your own pace and own budget type of course. And that was really my goal. And I'm very thankful that I was able to pull that off. So I'm super happy to share that this week. As I said, it'll be released uh, 9 a.m. Pacific on August 6, 2020. And again, you can find it at lukestory.com slash EMF Masterclass. And uh, speaking of blowing the whistle <laughs> on on the, the, the big mean corporations, uh, we're back at it um, on Tuesday with a show called Shot in the Dark, Blowing the Whistle on the Vaccine Industry and COVID with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Man, I'm just... I'm really tearing into him. I hope I don't get myself censored off the internet by approaching these um, untouchable topics. You know, in today's climate of censorship, it's like we can't ask questions anymore. But uh, I just refuse to shut up. I just, you're going to shut me down. Fine. I'll find another job. I don't know. I'll do something else. I'll figure it out. Uh, but it was a fantastic conversation with Robert F. Kennedy that comes out on Tuesday. And then this Friday, I'm going to drop another solo show. I was thinking about stopping those because they're, I'm just going to be honest. They're quite difficult because it takes me hours to like lay out the manuscript and then recording them is quite tedious. Uh, But I get so much positive feedback every time I do a solo show that it just makes me keep going. So this Friday, I'll be answering questions from the Facebook group, um, more specifically around EMF because it's kind of EMF week. It just turned out to be that way. So we're just going to go there. And then after the uh, vaccine episode with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. I'll try to lighten things up a little bit and go into spiritual mode and some more uplifting shows rather than these ones that are just kind of like shocking and um, potentially upsetting to people. But again, with the vaccines, with the 5G, with all this stuff, you know, we have to just take this with a grain of salt, educate ourselves, become aware and know that all will be well in the end, you know, with all the stuff that's been going on with COVID and the many shows I've done about that. I mean, I think people now are just like, wow, it's it's gotten like so absurd in 2020 that you almost can't even be upset anymore. It's just nuts. So we have to just keep sharing this type of information, building awareness um, about the dishonesty of much of the mainstream media, keep promoting voices that um, are sharing alternate points of view. And speaking of sharing, if you feel so inclined and motivated, please feel free to share this episode with as many friends as you can. I'm very passionate about spreading awareness on such issues as EMF, uh, because I think it's something that we could all stand to be aware of. You know, I mean, it's great to eat organic and, you know, limit your blue light and do all the things that we can to be healthy. But uh, EMF's a tricky one because you can't see it. You know, and that's the thing I think that's always bugged me about it which is why I'm so passionate. So if we're sharing information and alerting the public, maybe there's a scientist out there that will hear this show and go, hey, I have an idea how to transmit data over the air without filling the air full of cancer-causing radiation. <laughs> you know, I know that it can happen and that it will happen. It's just a matter of time and it's a matter of public demand, really. You know, if all of us are like, hey, I love my iPhone, which I do, mine's sitting right here and it's Defender Shield radiation blocking case. Um, I love the internet. I love Wi-Fi. I mean, I use this stuff every day. What I'm interested in is how can we share data and stay connected digitally as we are without harming ourselves in the environment. And so, um, you know, the more people become aware of this, 
the more the public demand for um, healthier and safer alternatives uh, there will be. And that includes in the vaccine industry and the pharmaceutical industry and all of that. There, there has to be a way to do um, to do these things and solve these problems without causing more harm in the process. And I firmly believe that we're on our way there if we all work together and stay positive and stay aware and um, you know do our part in our little corner of the world to not bow down to this totalitarian censorship and fake pandemics and all of the things that we're being inundated with by the powers that be that are grasping their cold, dead hands on the last vestiges of their worldwide control (laughs) you could tell i've been listening to jamie's dad but no for real that's what's up so uh anyway guys man thank you so much well guys and gals i call everyone guys regardless you know i don't know i sometimes i'll call my girlfriend dude and i'm waiting for her to like slap me and she gets it dude just means like hey at this point doesn't it i hope so because i'm from california and that's what we say all right mates blokes thank you to jamie ike our guest Amazing guy, amazing family, doing good work in the world. I bid you farewell until we tune in again this Friday for the solo show. And then again, Tuesday with Robert F. Kennedy. And uh, don't forget to register yourself for the EMF Masterclass at lukestory.com slash EMF Masterclass. And let's take a moment to thank our sponsors, Beekeepers Naturals. You can find some amazing bee products over there at beekeepersnaturals.com. You can also save yourself 15% off by using the code LIFESTYLIST. Man, these guys make glyphosate-free, pesticide-tested, completely amazing bee products. And uh, they're also doing a lot for the well-being of bees around the world in terms of their environmental efforts and what they do to support uh, beekeepers that are doing things the right way. So they're just a fantastic company, as is our next sponsor, Just Thrive. You can get some fantastic spore-based probiotics and heal up that gut over at justthrivehealth.com. The code over there is LUKE15 to save 15% off. And then last, but certainly not least, our friends over at Juve, the people that make the red light therapy that I use every single day. In fact, today I did it, was it three? No, twice. I did my Juve sessions twice today because I just needed it. And man, it works. Metabolic energy, mitochondrial support. It's great for your skin, great for joints, muscles, ligaments, tendons. What else does it do? It's great for your hormones. Red light therapy is so scientifically validated at this point, it's ridiculous. There are literally thousands of white papers and research papers about the efficacy of red light therapy for your health. If you want to check it out, get over to juve.com. That's J-O-O-V-V.com slash Luke. And if you enter the code Luke at checkout over at juve.com slash Luke, they're going to give you a little free gift. That's what's up. You can also find all of our sponsors at my website store, lukestory.com slash store. Thanks so much for listening and uh, see you soon.